Hello, welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's that time of year, everybody's favourite time of year. It's Bledisloe Cup number one here in Australia. Christy, you and I are in Sydney at the moment, flying down to Melbourne on Thursday morning. Um, and I can't wait. And it's an important week for Australian rugby, probably the biggest week of the year, really, when you think about things, how uh, the extra eyeballs that come on to the Wallabies uh, for this week, this one week of the year, uh, people, if they do get a visit from the Rugby Australia marketing pigeon, they're more likely to switch on the Bledisloe on Saturday night, have a look. And of course, it hasn't been great watching for many, many years now, uh, beyond two decades. Um, but with Eddie Jones back, uh, clearly the Wallabies haven't been playing too well to start the season. But it's Bledisloe week, and it's the biggest week of the year. And um, there's just a little bit of an extra spring in your step, really, isn't there? It, it's funny how we describe it as the biggest week of the year, don't we? You start rubbing your hands together, but hang on, in a couple of months' time, it's going to be the World Cup final. But I'll tell you what, if you were to win the Bledisloe Cup or you go one nil up in the Bledisloe Cup, something that no one thought possible last year, probably should have occurred, it just gives that momentum, the springboard, the the optimism, and you could just, you know, it's like a balloon and it will just pump up massively. And and with the World Cup around the corner, the Wallabies off to France, I think it's August 17, that's only three weeks away, three and a half weeks away. Uh, and there is so much excitement about this game, um, and and you can imagine that there'll be a few shots starting to be fired across each side of the, the transhazard. I think New Zealand comes over to to uh, Australia later, probably Wednesday, Thursday, a bit later in the week than usual when they generally spend the, the week building out into it. But oh, it's exciting! I can't wait. Yeah, massive week, and and you mentioned um, briefly there last year um, that incredible. Uh, finale we had at Marvel Stadium. Um, I think you and I are just about picked our jaws up off the floor 10 months on from that decision from Frenchman Mathieu Reynal. Um, what a night that was uh, at Marvel, as I mentioned. This year we move across town to, you know, I guess the home of Australian sport. Maybe not so much after the Commonwealth Games decision last week from Victorian Premier Dan Andrews has ruffled a, a few feathers and um, perhaps that might have sent a few cat amongst the pigeons at World Rugby moving forward, but we'll might come back to that at a later date. But yeah, 80,000 um, Rugby Australia officials are kind of talking up, or at least I think that's the goal, right? That's what they're hoping for. Um, clearly, there's a massive clash there on Friday night between the Pies and the Blues in the AFL. So to get back-to-back nights like that at the MCG would be really something. But then the Wallabies, they need to step up, don't they? They need to find something that they haven't clearly um, delivered yet under Eddie Jones in these first two tests. Um, there were some changes made last week, which we'll come to shortly, but um, it's a great occasion. It's the one venue, you know, one of the few venues around the world where anyone, I think, has got a winning record over the All Blacks. 2-0, and the Wallabies hold over New Zealand, I think 2000 and, 2002 and 2007, maybe the last time they played there was it's Snorky Mortlock with the uh, basketball-style pass over the top to... Scotty Staniforth, who ran away under the post. So, look, there's some good vibes there. But, um, yeah, important that um, they find a performance that's greatly improved on the last couple of weeks. Isn't it extraordinary that there hasn't been a test there since yeah. 2007 with, with John Connolly's side, 20-15. to 15. Wow. Uh, what a throwback. Um, this is... It's a week where you can grab the hearts and minds of not just rugby followers, but the wider... Uh, the wider nation, and and when you know that a World Cup is on the doorstep too, on the very much on the horizon, it's an it's an opportunity for people to go. Oh, hang on, there is a Rugby World Cup. Yes, it is in France. How's Australia measuring up? And hang on, Eddie Jones is back. So this is a great opportunity for Rugby Australia and the Wallabies, and you know that everyone's thinking about it, and I and you. And you just get that the feeling that even the All Blacks are thinking about it because the last time that they faced an Eddie Jones Cope side, they somehow came back from the dead in England did just last November when the, the game was gone for all money and yet there were boos around Twickenham when the decision was made to having scored two or three tries in quick succession, managed to come back 
uh, against, a, I think it was a 13-person English side, a uh, New Zealand side, after a couple of yep. yellow cards, the decision was made to kick the ball out rather than uh, go for glory and go for the win. So, you know, before that 2019 World Cup semi-final, England, a master stroke, uh, played their best match probably underneath Eddie Jones to, to knock the All Blacks out of the World Cup semi-final. As... Australia did back in 2003 and those memories and the vision of Sterling Mortlock running away from a Carl Spencer pass, we always remember it. So New Zealand won't be treating the Wallabies with uh, contempt or, or, or thinking that they're no chance. What's been and gone, that's a couple of weeks ago, and a Wallaby side that's starting to get a number of its players back from injury will represent a a threat, I think. Yeah, let's talk about um, some of those uh, returning faces. And, of course, the, the big changes. I, I guess if we start with Tom Wright at fullback. Now, you and I um, sat here uh, eight days ago on this podcast thinking that he's not his goose was cooked, Tom Wright, that he probably, there was no way that Eddie could potentially start him again. But I don't think either of us thought he would be dropped from the squad Altogether, um, he's paid a very heavy price for those two big mistakes in the last quarter. Quarter there against the Pumas in in Sydney ten days ago. Now, um, look, I, I I certainly would have kept him in the squad. I, again, I can't understand how he keeps his place around ahead of Asuliasi Vinavalu. Um, we've seen what Tom Wright has done on the wing for the Wallabies previously. Made the change to fullback full time this year with the Brumbies following the departure of Tom Banks. I just felt that was a really tough call on a guy who, yeah, would have known that he had stuffed up badly there at Combank Stadium. I would have personally kept him in the squad, but it, I guess it shows that Eddie's not going to waste any time tolerating that level of mistake, is it? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Oh, I got the phone call at about 7.30 or 8 p.m. last Wednesday telling me that there was Tom Wright looked like he was there and spent a little while confirming that, but well, we spoke to Eddie Jones on Saturday in a press conference and the thing that he kept on saying, and, and some people might call it an excuse or whatever, but he, he kept on saying that I need to find out what my best squad is. I need to find out what my best team is and who's the best people to be in the in the team. And selection is, is, is so crucial. And when you're naming a squad of 34, 35, including... Michael Hooper, who may or may not play at this point in time, included under the bracket of a, a rehab player for the time being. It means that there's four or five less places than what there were for the, the Springboks and Argentina tests, where this is much closer to a World Cup squad where you can only have 33. And you have to start to make decisions. Can you afford three nines or three tens? Can you afford three specialist open-side flankers? Um, Pete Samu, Fraser McWright, Michael Hooper, all three can't go to the World Cup. So who's going to miss out? Uh, I reckon there's almost a little bit of Eddie Jones has gone, okay, I kind of feel like I know what Tom Wright's capable of, what his strengths and weaknesses are. I don't know enough about uh, Andrew Kellaway or Jordan Pattaya or indeed uh, Suliasi Vunavalu, who's a right winger, can't play anywhere else. Some might say you can't even play on the right wing. But it's a little bit similar to the open side flanker discussion. Can you carry just an extra person if they're just going to carry the uh, take the you know carry the tackle bags? I, I think he's gone. You know what? I need to find out who my open side flanker is. I need to find out who my right winger is, and I can't just afford to have everyone in the squad. And so there may be a right. Uh, Saru come back into the squad but for the time being I think Eddie's trying to find out is it Marky Mar? Can he put a back-to-back performance on the board in the right wing and if he can't do I need to then re-explore Sulia Asiwunovalu and similarly with Fraser McCright didn't play against the All Blacks last year he's been in in and out of the side over the last couple of years what can he do against an All Blacks side if he starts at seven because we know what Pete Samu can do. He is excellent off a bench. There's, there's barely a better player off the bench in Australian rugby or someone who can provide the injection of explosiveness and skill set of a Samu off the bench. 
I reckon he goes to the World Cup still, despite missing out in this Bledisloe squad. But it could come down to McWright versus Hooper. And if if McWright plays the lights out and, and gets an opportunity with either Hooper not wanting to be risked, or we think we know what Hooper can can, can offer, uh, it'll be very interesting to see who goes to the World Cup because that'll make a, a selection headache in itself and one there that Eddie's going to have to get right. Yeah, Hooper's still uh, recovering from that calf injury. Not ruled out as yet at this stage on, uh, what are we, midday on Monday right now. Um, but I think the, it's clear the word that he would have to train either today or tomorrow to be considered moving forward. And when you and I saw him ahead of the, the Pumas game, he, he didn't really look like a guy who was going to be racing back. Um, so you're right. It's a It looks like a massive game for, for Fraser McWright in particular. Um Reese Hodge, the other big one, you would have to say. Probably the three, right number one, Samu two and and Hodge in terms of um, notable absentees. Uh, is it a victim of him being such a good utility option and never kind of nailing down the fact that now you've kind of got both Kellaway and Geordie Bataille back to full fitness who can play fullback and outside centre. Um, you've got, say, a Tom Wright who, while he's out now, can play on the wing. Um, the centers have taken a little bit of a hit clearly with, with Len Ikatow out. Um, and I guess the string that uh, Hodgie's always had to his bow is that long-range goal kicking. Um, kicked in South Africa, but didn't kick particularly well, did he? Mind you, why he was taking a shot from 61 metres out uh, could have been a little bit curious. But um, how do you see his position? Is he potentially, um, you know, uh, a little bit more in jeopardy than, say, both McWright and, um, and uh, Pete Samu? I think it probably is, and, and the interesting one with that is now that the Tyre and Callaway, who were both you know, not able to play in the first couple of tests, uh, Callaway's probably slightly ahead of Wright, um, sorry, ahead of the Tyre, who had ligament damage in his, in his wrist, I think it was. Anyway, he had surgery on his wrist, and um, whilst he was able to do a bit of fitness, and so he probably kind of got into contact asking the rest of it more recently. Those two guys... Uh, great utility value to particularly the tyre who can play really anywhere from 12 out. Uh, Callaway's played, spent time at outside centre too. Um, I, I think he is in danger, Reese Hodgett, missing the World Cup squad. I think you're right. He's, he's, he's like a utility got him to play so many more tests than you probably could have ever imagined. You look at Adam Ashley Cooper and he was the great utility player for you know, a decade and a half, but AAC was good enough to regular start at outside centre on the wing at fullback. I don't think we've ever thought that Reese Hodge was good enough to um, to command a spot in the same way that AAC did. So, oh, look, I think he's in, in danger. Um, it's all well and good having a big boot, but if you can't land it, uh, that's, you know, you, it's, it's just not good enough. And we've, we've paid the price at times for overcomplicating selections, I think. Someone like a, uh, a Geordie Pataire is, I think, a better fullback or a better right winger or a better outside centre than, than a Hodge. So I think we just can't overcomplicate these sorts of decisions. Um, and, yeah, all, all three were big calls, but I think needed calls. So, you know, the other one that you kind of go, mm, interesting, Dylan Peach still in the squad. The squad. He, he looks like he's a left winger, um, played his... The entire season, the last two seasons for the Wallabies, Australia A, oh, oh, sorry, um, the Waratahs and Australia A on the left wing, Winnebalu on the right wing. Seems like they're the cup of candidates at fullback, but where's a, a blind like a Ben Donaldson as well is in there. So um, it'll be fascinating to see if Donaldson at, at any stage gets an opportunity. I can't see how he, he, he gets into a squad and maybe he and Carter Gordon were perhaps challenging for a position there for quite a while, but I think we've seen over the last month where Carter Gordon is a, a classy player who has commanded moments in test matches already uh, after a, a season of commanding performances for the Rebels, which is something that Ben Donaldson couldn't do. Is there any point, though, in having Donaldson in this squad at the moment if he's no chance of playing this week or next, right? Like, I think, as you say, Carter Gordon has... has you know, written his name on the World Cup team sheet now, squad sheet rather, um, barring injury over these next two weeks. Um, 
And a guy like Donaldson, you, you can't really see how he fits in, particularly now both Kellaway and, and Pataira are back. I mean, what's he gaining by keeping Donaldson in the squad, they'd say, ahead of a, a Tom Wright? It's a good question. And it's interesting that, that both Donaldson and Ian Vunabar were probably the two most talked about players almost in Super Rugby this year for uh, being maligned players, whether or not people think that they should be in a Super Rugby side, let alone the Wallabies. And yet, Eddie has staunchly defended them throughout the season, but also kept them a part of his plans right the way through, even from the April training camp. And the first two questions of the press conference, basically back in April, were around Donson and Bulavalo. And yet those questions still remain and they still remain in the squad. So I think that goes to show that Eddie Jones did not care what people think around selection. And he showed that right his way through his tenure with England, didn't he? There was players all over the place where people in the media would talk up. He did eventually give in to Marcus Smith, though, didn't he? That was the, the, I guess his form was irresistible at the end. And while he couldn't quite get him to play in, in harmony with Owen Farrell and, and kind of backed away from that decision at the end of last year, that was virtually from a groundswell of pressure and support for Marcus Smith and his play for Harlequins. Yeah, yeah, it was. At the same time, in the in-between years of World Cups, where Eddie likes to experiment and uh, try to foresee the direction of the game and whether or not a 10-12 attacking playmakers can play or do you need a bigger 12 or 13. So there was a fair bit of experimentation going through that period as well. I think we would have all thought Owen Farrell would be in there somewhere, whether or not Marcus would have... You would never know, but... But back to the Wallabies, yeah, there's, there's big decisions to be made and, and we haven't even discussed the outside centre because without a Lenny Ikatau, uh, there's there's some more moving parts with the Wallabies, both that full back, now outside centre, could a Pataira and a Kellaway both come in at the same time. I think that's less likely because as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, bringing players back from long-term injuries. And yet generally speaking, it takes a little while for them to hit their straps and to find full form and full gas. And we saw Karevi probably not quite there just yet. We all expect he will get to that point in time. Um, he's got a couple of options, doesn't he, Eddie? He could go to a, a Lalakai Fikedi at 12 or, or 13 or an Izzy Parisi or a, indeed a Pattaya. My hunch is, my hunch is that he probably at this point in time, go up briefly. Uh, I know that he was impressed. I know he was impressed with what Parisi was doing throughout um, the early stages of the Wallabies camp late last month. And and those kind of things, like we've always been impressed with his tackle busting ability, the strength and what he offers there through contact. Is this an opportunity for him to show what he can do potentially in front of 80,000 people? It would be a big, big chance. Well, what what direction would you go in there, Bruce? It's a great question, mate, isn't it? Because um, I think we all saw the potential Nizzy Parisi there. What was it, twenty? the end of the Waratahs horror season? So um, what was that, 2021? And, um, we went on a spring tour. Went winless, but it was right at that last game. I think it was against the Chiefs, maybe at Brookvale Oval, if memory serves. Uh, and he did his shoulder that night. And Dave Rennie, you could really see the disappointment on his face um, when he announced the squad for the French series the next day that uh, Parisi would have been in that squad and was really pushing hard for um, the position there in the midfield. Now, I don't think he's probably played as well as that the last couple of years. Maybe defences have got a little bit better about understanding how he plays, his ability to shed tackles and find that offload. Um, so it's, yeah, it's... It's a curly one. I asked Tim Horan last week at the Lions announcement, which we might come to a bit later, um, around just what he thought they should do. Um, and he was a big fan of, of Parisi, he thinks, keeping Samo at 12 and putting Parisi there at 13. I guess my one concern with Parisi is probably his defence and against um, Enrico Ioani, who has got that ability to beat you on the outside if you're not on your game. And Parisi loves that kind of that big shot, doesn't he? He doesn't always stick them. Um, but he can land that big shot. So whether that's the the right kind of um, defensive style to take in against the All Blacks, um, potentially Lalakai Fakedi, they're more of a 12. Um, Samu, after the Wallabies uh, were beaten there in Argentina, said he would shift to 13. Probably doesn't love it. Um, 
And of course, that's where he started for the Reds, I think, a, a while back originally. Um, has played, but mainly played at 12 the last sort of five or six years. So it's going to be an interesting one. I think it'll certainly be in an area that the All Blacks will will look to exploit. Um, and Rico's had a, a fair bit of success uh, in that channel against the Wallabies, um, despite not always putting the ball down uh, safely uh, over the try line. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think maybe there's less disruption going with Izzy, um, just making that one positional change there when you've got one happening at fullback um, already, clearly. Uh, but yeah, the the defence will be the, the big thing that I'll be watching for. Oh yeah, for sure. And we saw glimpses of what Perez would do in the spring tour of 21 and, and from memories came off the bench early and it was almost like a scrum move. He might have, I think he set up a try and you thought, wow, like just the ability to burst through contact uh, is such a feature of his game. And I think he might have started a week later, but his career has kind of almost followed Geordie Pattaya, where it's a, it's a step forward or two, and then unfortunately a step two or back because of injury. And we saw it against England last year at Brisbane, where he uh, it comes on very early for Jordan Bataille, who was concussed, and then within a few seconds, I think he's yellow carded, unfortunately, for a, uh, a deliberate knockdown. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's out of the game after a, a devastating shoulder injury. So we just haven't seen the best of him, and he was slow to start this year with the Waratahs, but, but did start to find some form. Uh, I, I think it, it's a... It, it's an opportunity to find out more around Parisi and whether or not he's he's up for a World Cup campaign. Um, you'd if if Lalakaiti was to be looked over, you'd think uh, it's it's unfortunate for him. He's been in and around that side for quite a while and clearly played well against France last year. But injuries have haunted his his development too, hasn't they? So uh, no Hunter Paisami. He's still coming back from an injury. I think he may have been potentially. Uh, up to get for a second test, um, which will be in Dunedin, August 6th, um, I think it is. But, yeah, he's he's slowly getting back. He's probably running grace. There might have to be one or two people go down for Basami to come in. But he just has that ability to be able to cover 12 and 13 in a way that maybe some of the others don't. So um, big selections ahead. I think Jordi Pitoa would be perfectly placed to wear that 23 jersey for the Wallabies this, uh, this weekend. Um, it, it's nice to see the Type 5 probably feel a bit more settled. Um, whether or not a, uh, a Jed Holloway gets another opportunity at blindside flanker, I, I, you almost kind of hope that he does because just with the constant shopping and changing, it's hard to find momentum and the rest of it when when there's those disruptions and we've we've spoken um we've heard Eddie speak about uh the breakdown and how important it is to be really um aware of what to do at each stage and that's an area that they've got to work at and and Tate McDermott addressed that on I think it was on Friday when he spoke about uh the ball recovery and having to make sure everyone knows where they've got to be and what they're going to do at particular stages when the ball's potentially loose or if there's a turnover so uh, I'm excited though. Like this, we're, we're talking about players that have now had two or three games behind them. Uh, that should be much further along the road with Eddie Jones. Do you foresee um, a change uh, on either side of the front row, or uh, expected Angus Bell to come off the bench? Come off the bench once again. I guess Michael Hooper's um, doubt it probably means that James Slipper would have to start there from a, a captaincy perspective but what about Taniela Tupu really only that half a footy um in the best part of what 10 months um for Australia A against Tonga um last week yeah weekend before last rather um he probably needs to be eased back in off the bench but that's going to be a great injection if that is the case isn't it after half time um maybe Angus Bell gets a little bit longer again this week having blown the cobwebs out against the Pumas um but Tupu, maybe around that 55, 60 minute mark, um, a real injection there for, for Eddie Jones. And and having these four guys, these four, you know, probably world-class props, you would have to say, when they're at their best, um, back in this Wallabies 23 is a, is a big result. Oh, if, if Taniela Tupo's ready, confident in himself to, to uh, play, then 
then you, he he's in Australia's top four props every day of the week, and he's he's you know he's, he can potentially be world class. Look, Pone Farmacilli, it'll be fascinating to see where he is in the mix. What if he's impressed any Jones, or if there's elements that have impressed him um, now that he's been under that Eddie's watchful eye for a few weeks. We know that Honey came off the bench in Sydney, uh, place of the Melbourne Rebels. So given that they're across the road from AE Park at MCG, um, is there an opportunity for him to play, uh, have another week with with Taniella making his way back, and maybe he, he plays against uh, the All Blacks a week later in Dunedin? Uh, is that another opportunity for him there? Uh, some decisions are going to have to be made around which five or six Wallaby props are taken to this World Cup. And Pine Farmacilli, they always had that huge hulking frame. It's just the work rate and the, the things he does off the field as well around preparation and his attitude. Those are the sorts of areas where Annie will be really watching closely. We probably don't have a great idea ourselves at the moment, but, but they're, they're crucial factors, as is at hooker. You know, I think Dave Parecki will start. We've, we've seen that, what he can do, but the use of who he brings off the bench in the number two jersey is really, or 16 jersey is really crucial because Dave Parecki shouldn't be playing 70 minutes against the Pullmans there and then falling off the tackle because he's probably gassed. Eddie needs to have trust in his backup hooker. Is it well, Alesi, another local boy? Uh, does it Matty Fesler, who's been retained in the squad, finally get an opportunity? Um, they're big decisions to make and, and probably whilst we're just quickly on the conversation of, of the hook in jersey it's now potentially got another candidate who is making his way back from injury but will sign with the Western Force in, in Brandon Payer and Amosa uh, so uh, big decisions it's still one of the most important positions Eddie Jones has got, got to get right at, at two uh, that line out and getting quick clean ball is so crucial at, uh, in, in a set piece in international rugby and getting quick, clean ball and a solid platform for one, Quade Cooper, who we've got to remember here hasn't actually faced the All Blacks in these uh, since his return in in twenty twenty one. Right, came in after that third Bledisloe test in Perth, um, when Noah Lawasi I think had played all three games there, um, and then of course uh, you know came back and and start against the Springboks, start against the Pumas when the Wallabies won four and then five straight with an extra game in Japan. Then last year did his Achilles in the opening game of the Rugby Championship. So um, I, I'm trying to think back to it the last time when Quaid, off the top of my head, will have faced the All Blacks. Um, and you probably would have got to go back to... Oh, I think if, I think it's 2016 because from memory, uh, the Wallabies and Quaid played against Italy off the bench in that weird July series involving Fiji, Scotland and... and and Italy and yeah. came off the bench against uh, at Suncorp Stadium and I don't think he was ever cited again uh, so it must be 2016 and then and, and if memory serves correctly I think he actually might have even partnered Bernard Foley in a 10-12 combination which is a real Isabel. throwback under Michael Checker so yeah you, you think about his um, history with the All Blacks um, of course public enemy number one in New Zealand during the the 2011 World Cup, which finishes in the third place playoff when he does his knee. Um, the incident with Richie McCaw, I guess, that led to all that uh, from Hong Kong. Um, what was that, 2010, that famous game? Um, James O'Connor kicks from the sideline. So that's a fascinating little storyline that goes with this, isn't it? Oh, totally. What do you think about Jeff Wilson's comments recently? Twice he's spoken about the fact that he doesn't believe the Wallabies can win with Quade Cooper calling the shots at hand. Uh, also went into that history that you're speaking about where he's notoriously struggled against New Zealand and, and speaking on the, the breakdown podcast was pretty scathing in that. Do you think it's a, a straight-up decision for Quaid to wear the 10 jersey ahead of Carter Gould? It would be a massive call, wouldn't it, to bring Carter in this week, uh, potentially 80,000 at the MCG, the city, where he's made his home um, since moving down. From Queensland, look, I've been really impressed with Carter coming off the bench um, in, in two difficult situations, clearly in South Africa when he was on a hiding to nothing, came on and, and showed his skills. A um, couple of forward passes, sure, but uh, set up and scored that try that you know added a little bit more respectability to an otherwise ugly scoreline. And then last week, oh, sorry, 10 days ago in Sydney when he played 
you know, what was it, uh, 62 minutes at inside centre. And, of course, that um, created all kinds of headaches for defensively. They kind of got that sword in the second half. We know he defends really well, but he's actually a number 10 who can put hits on. Um, almost picked up and ran 65 metres to score, only just run down from a, a drop ball from Argentina there. So, look, I, I don't expect it, but I guess with Eddie, that old cliche, expect the unexpected too. So it wouldn't completely surprise me. Um, but um, I actually thought Quaid was pretty solid against Argentina. Um, I couldn't quite see the criticism that I saw from some quarters of him for that performance. I like the way a couple of occasions he kind of just booted the ball straight down the middle um, like he did in that, you know, successful return in 2021. Um, but he's not a guy that's going to put fear into the All Blacks either. Really easy. And, and perhaps there's something in that, that, that throwing such a big curveball with Carter Gordon there, um, who, while he didn't get a win over any New Zealand teams with the Rebels this year, certainly was among their best players in just about every game against them. So, um Look, I, I wouldn't rule it out completely, but yes, I, I, there would be a fair element of shock for that one uh, if he was to throw Carter in there. Yeah, I tend to agree. It was interesting. I spoke to Eddie and there's been one particular question, which it's uh, been doing the rounds. Um, but, but on the Saturday press, I, I asked Eddie around um, the eight profile and the profile of Nick White and Quade Cooper, two guys in their 30s at the and the twilight of their career, even though they both signed respective two-year extension deal, or well, were new deals with, with Nick White going to the force. But Nick White's 33, yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure, and Quade Cooper's 35. Is there enough spring in those, that enough shots that can be fired from your main attacking weapons at 9 and 10 to, as you say, put some fear into the, the eyes, um, the minds of, of the All Blacks. And Eddie's response was that could be a factor, but it might not also be a factor. And, and it's almost like he's not quite sure either which way that'll go. What he does know is that uh, he's got a very exciting weapon that he can always bring on the bench, off the bench and take McDermott. But that... Quade Cooper coming back from a, an Achilles injury. Uh, he's Quade will always maintain that he's getting some great times off the field in terms of what speeds he can reach. Um, but that that you know, he's probably not found his his things. And I still haven't really ever seen Quade Cooper be able to break a line like he once did in 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 his younger years. But he still does have that ability to manipulate the fence. His decision making on the whole, seems much, much better. And, and then even in these two narrow defeats, you're right to point out some of those decisions and kicking game. But he also played a, a pretty handy role in a try, in a couple of tries against Argentina. A nice ball, was it forward, potentially. Uh, but a second lovely one where he pops, where he's burst onto uh, a Marika Corabetti inside ball. And then he's got the awareness to step inside and then to pop pass off the deck to... Samu Karevi too. So I thought the comments from Jeff Wilson were a bit harsh, but the Cardigan certainly is an intriguing prospect that I think will also join Pataira on the bench. Yeah, uh, team's name Thursday morning. Uh, and I think you and I are flying straight in and heading straight to uh, the Wallabies Hotel. So I uh, look forward to those. We'll bring you uh, at uh, those immediately at the ESPN and on the Raw as per usual. Um, Man, I guess before we, we wrap this one up then, um, what um, well, give us a tip then, and I guess what are you, uh, what are you expecting from the All Blacks? Uh, can they continue this ruthless kind of start, or at least these patches that we've seen, these blistering starts against Argentina uh, and then South Africa? Intriguingly, the Wallabies, have, as opposed to last year, have also started really well. Yeah, I actually brought that up to Tate McDermott the other day. Of, of all the doom and gloom of the last couple of weeks, uh, for once, they've been able to score quickly and come out of the blocks firing. They've done that in second games. I don't think that New Zealand will be able to continue their blistering starts in the same way that they have against Argentina and South Africa. That we've got to remember when they when they smoked the Springboks in that unbelievable first twenty minutes. Guys like your your Etzebeths or your um, you know, there was half a dozen new faces in that starting 15, and a lot of them, obviously, they didn't play the week earlier. And I just felt like they missed the jump. 
and you and you often see that and we saw that throughout Super Rugby the teams that tend to rest a lot of players sometimes it's quite hard the week later when they've had that week to 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 recover probably train hard haven't been able to burst out of the blocks quickly uh, the next week I think the Wallabies will be acutely aware of what New Zealand can do the ruck retention the ability to get at least parity at the game line and set piece will be at the front of the Wallabies' minds, Eddie Jones's mind. It'll be a fascinating opening 20 minutes, but as Tate McDermott said on, on Friday, it's actually about extending that, not just being good for 15, 20 minutes up top. You've got to play rugby consistently for 80, and you, you can't drop your standard. So um, it's, it's more like those crucial five minutes either side of half time which have always burnt the Wallabies against the All Blacks they're the five that I think will be just as crucial this week do I see the Wallabies winning I don't think anyone in their right mind could say yes unless you were a part of that Wallabies squad however I do expect the Wallabies to push New Zealand I reckon within seven points is my is my tip I think it all come down to the last 10 minutes yeah, I'm perhaps not that optimistic. I think it still might be more sort of that 10 to 15. Um, I, I just haven't seen a lot. And I there's just something in those All Blacks uh, the last couple of weeks that um, have reminded me about teams gone by. Uh, and the best news of all I've just discovered, that we've got the best referee in the game uh, for uh, the MCG on Saturday night. So any Melbourneians who might be confused by rugby's laws, at least you've got the guy who I think makes it as simple as he possibly can in Wayne Barnes. So um, I think that's a fantastic result. Oh, totally. And I wasn't aware of that. That's, that is a great result. He's a guy that's clear, that speaks to the players, um, a lawyer by trade. That's a good result. And, uh, and, and hopefully the MCG crowd has the ability to hear some of his comms at times, uh, because he is a, a very clear, uh, communicator and would be at my, you know, early on point of the year, midway through the year, if he was the World Cup. Uh, referee in the final, you would have no complaints because he's been one of the absolute best for a long, long time. Yeah, deserves to get that nodded and hopefully, uh, well, if England don't reach the Rugby World Cup final, he would certainly be my man for that job. Um, all right, mate, um, we haven't got a lot of time here before you and I got to jump on a Wallabies presser, but um, I guess uh, the big announcement uh, outside of uh, Bledisloe last week for um, Australian rugby was the uh, unveiling of the 2025 British and Irish Lions tour dates. Um, you got the scoop earlier around to where the three test venues were. We all expected that, although the MCG uh, getting the jump from Marvel Stadium in, in 2013 is a, is a good result as well, I think. Um, there's an extra, you know, they may well get 90000 for that game, given um, you've got to think there's going to be a few Brits and Irish who had saved up for South Africa in 2021 and then couldn't go by virtue of COVID. Um, but the big one, um, I guess, if we focus in on the, uh, the joint Australia-New Zealand team, which... Amish McLennan had flags last year. That game's going to be in Adelaide. Although with a fair bit of kind of ironing out of just exactly who is going to play and how it's going to work. Um, because we know the All Blacks aren't going to be available. They'll be engaged in a, a three-test series with France around then. Saw something today that uh, also the Maori have been booked, I think, a series as well. So that takes out another run of players. Um, so virtually you're going to be relying on uh, players who are either in Europe or Japan, and then also on the good graces of their clubs who pay them the big dollars to release them to a game, which essentially means nothing apart from an exhibition, I guess a barbarian style of game where they could get injured. Um, who is going to line up and play for this team? I mean, clearly Rugby Australia is hoping that a, a guy like Richie Moonga, who will start a three-year deal uh, in Japan next year, might be available. Aaron Smith, another one. Phil War even said to a couple of us up there at the launch last week that and may even be extended to South African players. So we could see some um, Pacific Islanders. It may end up more of a Barbarians team potentially than an Australia-New Zealand Invitational. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's some serious legs to that. It's it's a tricky one because of what you've just said regarding New Zealand and their fixtures at the time. And, and you're right to point out, will the clubs that pay the players the big bucks release them and we've seen at times the Wallabies players like Quade Cooper and uh, Sean McMahon Simon Karebi pull out uh, of a spring tour essentially because they just didn't think that it would be fair on their club exactly. yeah. to, 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 to risk their 
the the seasons ahead. The, the, the benefit is that it's it is so far in advance of the next season. So the the League One, League Two competition in Japan uh, will be over a couple of months earlier, really. So uh, with a long, long window ahead, I, I, I get the feeling like there will be a few players who will certainly put their hands up for it, given that. They're effectively at the moment frozen out of international rugby because of New Zealand's eligibility uh, policy. So, uh, yeah, we can all be concerned and probably quite rightly about who the heck might actually feature that. I think if Eddie Jones gets his way, maybe it's just 15 Aussies uh, and other opportunities for for the, the next level player to potentially get a crack or even some of those wallabies ahead of a, a three-match test series against the line. So we'll see, but I think that the South Africans, Argentinians, what Rugby Australia and my understanding with figures like Hamish McLennan, they've they've tried to very much um, be inclusive to their South African allies and, and Argentinian allies, trying to mend any possible wounds. But I think with when New Zealand effectively shut out a couple of continents out of Super Rugby, uh, they weren't particularly happy at New Zealand. And as such, the ties between Australia and South Africa and Argentina are, in fact, pretty strong. So, yeah, I actually don't mind the concept of moving away from Sansa and having four nations on a on a jersey. That would look for me phenomenal to have the, the box jersey, uh, you know, divided it up into quarters. Uh, that could be a, a, a great way to celebrate Southern Hemisphere rugby, I think. You know what the other thing with it was, and we know Hamish McKernan is a, is a media man by trade, right? It was just a great marketing play for that announcement. If you're announcing effectively a tour two years out, the dates, the venues, it's kind of a bit meh when you, uh, I guess there was some doubt around whether all five Australian franchises were going to get the opportunity to play the Lions. But um, I mean, otherwise it's just kind of, oh yeah, the Lions two years time, these are the venues, these are the dates. But you create a concept like this, or revive a concept rather, because um, we know they played uh, an Anzac-style team in, in 1989 and Timmy Horan brought his jersey there, his perfectly pristine jersey because he didn't actually get on, um, which we were having a good laugh about when, when talking with him. Um, but that story for us, uh, certainly on ESPN via our ESPN Scrum Facebook page, and if you don't follow it, I encourage you to do so. That's where you get all our best content. It exploded. There was, I think, about 400 shares because it was something different and it got people talking. Uh, you know, the, we all talk about engagement, um, both in on-site and on social media metrics in particular that drive stories like that. Suddenly, it kind of just created a new dimension for this tour, didn't it, all of a sudden, rather than just, okay, tour's here, two years out. We'll probably come back to that, you know, in, let's say, May 2025 when the squads are getting announced, right? It actually gave us a bit of a bang a wow moment. Oh yeah, this is going to be a bit different. Yeah, indeed, indeed, and and there had been a much talked about. You know, is there going to be a Pacific Island component to it? I think the Rebels will be backed by a lot of those players uh, from the Pacific region when when the Rebels host a, a match against the Lions. I think particularly that, because that's in a Test week as well, so they will need reinforcements clearly there as well. Yeah, certainly. So I think great result, firstly, that the five Super Rugby franchises get the opportunity to take on the Lions. That's always been, you know, you think about the Brumbies taking down uh, the, the Lions in 2013, the heartbreak uh, 12 years earlier, and the, the Luke Morahan try against the Lions uh, when he's playing for the Reds. These sorts of moments uh, can make careers and, you know, generate huge amount of following right across the nation, particularly ahead of a World Cup. So I think from the national footprint point of view, great to have it also with an injection of uh, the South Australian government, I think has thrown a fair bit of money behind hosting that that test match, uh, sorry, the, the exhibition match with the uh, Invitational 15. Um, also, and just another nice strategic play about getting more uh, hopefully viewership right across the world to be, you know, the idea of a, maybe a sat clerk or whoever it might be. It's it's great to be able to, I think, draw on some of the the, the pillars of, of rugby, which is that international flavour. 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, 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 and I think, you know, as you mentioned there, the South African government are clearly trying to make a play for some big World Cup matches in, in 2027 as well. They don't want, you know, um, they got one Wallabies game last time around and I think it was 147-0 against Namibia. So um, they'll want something a little bit more. We've seen they've hosted State of Origin. Well, they went after the Live Golf um, down here in Australia earlier this year. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're a state that's um, got big plans on, on being a, an event hub. If you like. Uh, some other news, mate. Well, just quickly, uh, Les Kiss, uh, as you'd um, kind of suggested in weeks prior, was confirmed as Reds coach. Seemed to be a pretty um, universally positive uh, response to that appointment. Oh, I think so, absolutely, because he's got two decades of coaching behind him and what a good decade of that has been at an international level, both with the Springboks in the early 2000s as well as Ireland's at a couple of World Cup campaigns there. So a wealth of knowledge, experience has been added to um, help uh, build sides and their trajectory. If you look at London Irish, where they came from, who were in the, uh, in the championship, got promotion and then a steady increase uh, from, I think, 11th to 9th the 7th, the 5th, just most recently. And you look at some of the players that are coming into that England side uh, and and there's, there's players that have been developed by Les Kiss. So I think that's a great appointment. Queenslander as well. How he um, manages to bring everyone on board from the GM to the CEO to the players to the player agents to get in. Everyone aligned so that Queensland are open strong again. It will be the crucial thing and something we'll find out more in the coming months. But good appointment. It'll be interesting to see who his assistants are going forward, uh, whether or not it's a complete uh, clean out and, and Les gets to kind of choose who he wants. But um, you imagine there'll be a strong Queensland flavour within that assistant coaching team as well. For sure. And um, oh, what else around the grounds? Uh, Shoot Shield is going gangbusters here in Sydney this year. I mean, these games, every round, there's, you know, usually all all seven, sorry, six games um, uh, sort of, you know, decided by sort of five points or less. Uh, I think there's about seven or eight points separating sort of first from sixth or seventh and a real scramble for eighth position. And and Randwick, if uh, you've heard anything from Morgan Turanui or Stephen Hoyles in particular, the coach in, in recent weeks, they're pretty cocker hoops and swept my beasties uh, week before last, um, both in grade and Colts. So not a great day for those at Willara. Um, but made a bit of other scuttlebutt around from Randwick. Uh, you've got a bit of an inside line of a big story that could be bubbling away. It, it, well, look, it could prove to be a big story in, in the months to come that clearly Rugby Australia is going to have an injection of cash at some point in time, but they've not just had an injection of cash, an injection of people with rugby intellect with a long history of within the game. So clearly Eddie Jones comes back at the start of the year. Uh, Phil, most recently, is the RIA CEO. One of his first decisions is to uh, farewell uh, uh, Thompson there as 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 like a general manager in national high performance and pathways, there are RAs on the hunt for a new high performance head. And I just get the feeling like with guys like Eddie Jones in charge, could they finally be able to bring Jordan McKenzie out of the wilderness? The international wilderness of 10 years, he's hadn't really been cited in rugby since he rather abruptly and suddenly and dramatically resigned as, as Wallaby's coach following a Bledisloe defeat in Brisbane. Um, and a heartbreaking match that was in itself. But but I just think that those couple of figures might be added to, and I think they are trying to bring Ewan McKenzie back into the rugby fold. If that was to occur, it would be a phenomenal result. I hope they do, because I can't think of anyone who's better suited to that kind of role, because he's a, a Melbourneian who has played Sydney club rugby competition, uh, played for the Brumbies, coached to the Brumbies, uh, coached to the Wallabies, won Super Rugby title at the Reds, led the Waratahs to a couple of finals, and of course had coached the Wallabies. I can't think of anyone else who would have better intellect and maybe a town planner to be able to rebuild Australian rugby back from potentially the bottom, really, the, the bottom of where it's been uh, in its very proud, proud history. So 
We'll just see. Yeah, I think watch this space on that and who they managed to get RA. I, I, I don't know if there's any real appetite from, from McKenzie himself, but I just think that if there was a number one target in mind, you would imagine that guys that know you and McKenzie very well will try everything they can to get him back. And a guy whose exit was, was pretty ugly last time around, not from his point of view, but how it all went down with that flight back from Argentina, I think. Um, certainly Maybe you know, to Argentina. Yeah, to Argentina with the team manager at the time, um, some sort of relationship there, Curtly Beal. We all know the history. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, uh, McKenzie, after the Bledisloe defeat, announced his departure at that press conference. Um, and that was... Be- Anyone's heard from you? Yeah, indeed. The politics and the political landscape of the Australian rugby shifted drastically, and it got to a point of a, a pretty toxic point under a couple of different regimes. But you know that everyone is trying to move in the one direction under the current regime, and guys that have got um, a deep, deep rooted understanding of Australian rugby, and that could be the crucial thing uh, driving. Rugby Australia forward into what they're shaping and calling as a as a golden decade, for sure, for sure. And uh, who knows, maybe it might be a golden week for the Wallabies in Melbourne, uh, mate. Thank you very much again for your time on this Monday. Look, oh, I can't wait to get down to uh, Victoria on Thursday morning. Um, if it's going to be eighty thousand there, I've got my doubts around the spectacle in terms of a, a viewing platform for people in the crowd. But if there's eighty thousand there and and that's what World, World Rugby will be judging that World Cup decision on, right? If it's the place is humming, um, then who knows? That might be the decision. So, mate, we'll see you in Melbourne on Thursday morning. Can't wait. And uh, if you're in Melbourne or you're thinking about travelling, go to it. This will be a great, great spectacle, I think. Yeah, get along. And in the meantime, as usual, hit us up on socials. Give us a rating. Uh, we're right in the thick of it this time of year with the World Cup just around the corner. Um, so let us know if you've got any feedback and we'd love to hear it. Otherwise, we'll talk to you probably Sunday morning. Fingers crossed for all of this week.